0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Somerset County Tourism. Hear stories from local brewers and distillers from the New Jersey Sip and See Trail on episode 647 of Beer Sessions Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Today, I'm speaking with Dinah Trout and Vanessa Du, the co-founders of HealthAid. Vanessa was chief sales officer at HealthAid for 10 years prior to being named interim CEO this past September. And Dinah was CEO until she moved into the role of chief mission officer earlier this year. These two incredible women nurtured what started as a small production and niche product into what has become a category-defining National brand sold at fifty thousand grocery stores and health food markets nationwide. They've won too many awards and populated too many fill-in-the-blank-of-the-year lists to tell you now, but suffice it to say, they are powerhouses who built something together and continue to set standards of brand and business building. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome, Vanessa and Dinah. Thank you. Hi. Here. Yay. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I was like, where to begin, where to begin. Um, You know, I, I think people who listen to this show regularly know that I try to make it not like a, how I did this, but a, how am I going to do this? And so the founder story is amazing and, you know, around so people can look back and see how it all kind of started. I'd like to go a little bit more into brass tacks that maybe you know, founders and operators can kind of take away from the 10 years since it started. Um, so I wanted to start really with your partnership. Um, I don't hear that many co-founder stories working together as successfully as the two of you have for a decade. Um, Dinah, I'd like to just start with you, you know, before we get into anything, like, what do you think was sort of the secret of this incredible partnership?
2: It has been an incredible partnership. Um, and I think extraordinary, unique, um, hard for me to pinpoint what the secret is, um, but looking back, I mean, certainly moving forward, it's not like I knew we had some kind of secret and that was going to make us successful. it's more <laughs> it's more looking back that I think, oh, yeah, what we had was really unique, especially as mm-hmm. I hear other founders um, you know, share their sort of grueling stories. Vanessa I really didn't have any um, yeah. you know, too much conflict between the two of us. And I think, um, I mean, it's not to say we we didn't have grueling stories about growing the business. That's a different yeah. story. It's yeah, most yeah, yeah. it's mostly grueling. Um, but but for Vanessa and I, and I and I'd be curious if she has a, a secret in mind. I think for me, it would be well. We certainly equally cared about winning. And wanting mm-hmm. to do like we we would do whatever it t- took to win. So I think there was never an inequality of like who was putting work in and who wasn't. Right. So that's that's pretty key. Um, but but beyond that, um, we communicated, you know, what what we had on our minds, even if it meant um, the other person pissed us off or said right. something that, that hurt our feelings or. Um, you know, I really didn't like how you said that it made Mm -hmm. me feel this. Mm -hmm. So so like a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) we we talked that way and I think we always just gave each other the benefit of the doubt and it was never like, I don't know, maybe the other thing then that would be special is we, we both have very little ego. And so when someone, when she would come to me and say, Hey, I really didn't like how you said this, it made me feel like this. I would say, Oh gosh, I didn't, I totally didn't mean it that way. You know, Mm -hmm. instead of. Oh, well, you know, right. that's from how when you talked to me last week, like there was never any of that. Yeah. So I think communication and honesty, um, low ego, and then equal passion and, and dedication to the work were were in fact the secrets.
0: Yeah. I mean, those are some good secrets. Vanessa, from your perspective, anything?
3: Yeah. I mean, I like to say even though HealthAid has been a true success, I view our partnership as co-founders probably the even better success in that we were able to build a business that's thriving and still really say that we're best friends in such meaningful positions in each other's lives. And I would agree with Dinah in all those aspects. And I would say in the beginning, it was always a feeling like I got your back and you got mine. So there is this innate trust that I think maybe all co-founders say they have with each other, Mm -hmm. Um, but I I really felt like we cared enough about ourselves and each other that we looked out for each other. And that was a big thing that allowed us also to have equal rolling up of of the sleeves to make sure that we were pulling the weight. Um, I remember, um, you know, that we, we all kind of, switched off on production it was the hardest most manually taxing and we did that because we didn't want the other person to feel like they were getting the short end of the stick mm-hmm. um, day in and day out and it's because we cared about each other yeah um, And then the communication was just when I work with other people I think we take our communication level for granted and that we're super open with each other we're able to be vulnerable and that opens you up to a whole leveling up that you don't get with a lot of people nowadays. And that's yeah. really special in and of itself.
0: No, it is. It's, it's amazing. And I mean, I guess I would ask you just as a follow-up, you know, going in, did you know, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I was naturally more inclined toward finance and ops. And I was naturally more inclined towards sales and brand. Um, but it doesn't necessarily feel like that's it did you have did you kind of go in knowing what you were I mean Vanessa you went specifically into sales um did you know that that was a strength of yours and you know were you thoughtful about all that stuff going in who's going to do what or did it kind of come naturally as the business needed different things from you?
3: Yeah. So my background before starting HealthAid, I was in a sales function at a pharmaceutical company. That's where I met mm-hmm. Diana. Um, and so I think there was a natural proclivity to kind of that front of house function, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, mm-hmm. But going into the business wasn't so much thinking that's where I'm going to be in the business. It was really more you know, all through, all the founders were really just heads down. Let's make this right. work. We're going to go above and beyond and be everything that we need to be for the business. Yeah. And it wasn't until we needed to understand our functions a little bit better and really divide out our where we were gonna focus because we needed to to make the business grow where right. I fell into the sales function. And you know, we, we literally took post-its and we took every activity or task in the business and we wrote them down on each post-it, we put them up on the board, and naturally could see all the, you know, how it clustered together. So there are right. the marketing functions, all the sales functions, there is the production and operations functions. And for me, I naturally gravitated toward the sales functions. So yeah. that made sense um, just as where I focused my time. And I will say that it was uh, starting your own company and building a sales team is very different than I would say stepping into a large Fortune 50 sales, sales role, right? It's very much understanding the whole supply chain the distribution model right it was understanding what type of people we needed on the team to get to you know our our goals within let's say two to three years it was strategizing with innate knowledge of what we knew the brand to be where it could thrive so it Spent many an hour talking about where the product could do well, where the hotspots would be in LA, for example, um, and understanding how to broaden that type of strategy and growth strategy to team members as we brought them on board. Um, So there is so much to learn, but also so much to execute. Um, It was both equally a rolling your sleeves up and going into the store one day um, to build out displays with your new sales rep to thinking about, okay, what level of distributors do I need to bring on for the next year and a half such that we can grow and meet the growing demand of a Whole Foods Sprouts, for example. Um, One of the things I did in the beginning was talk to um, sales leaders and other companies I admired. And though it wasn't a playbook I followed directly, it helped me glean some things to help build health aid sales function.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, and, you know... Dinah I think you and I talked about this when we first met, but, you know, I kind of think of you guys as a little bit setting, setting a little precedent for us in the sense that, you know, buyers didn't necessarily know where to put you. Consumers didn't necessarily know, you know, are you a, are you a soda? Are you more like a yogurt? Are you, are like, you know, there, you had a lot of consumer education to do as well as creating a new category, did you, were you highly aware of that? And did you kind of know what that was going to look like? Or did you think, were you surprised by the amount of education that was ahead of you?
2: Um, I don't think I was surprised, but I certainly didn't go in knowing it all. Um, (laughs) you know, at all. I I think I expected there to be some education and it was, it it truly was education. And in general, it was an iterative thing. And I think that's the right move um, Mm -hmm. because you really aren't going to know what your consumers know and what they don't know until you're in the game selling to them and communicating with them. Um, You know, I think probably what was a surprise to me as far as, um, like education goes, I mean, it's not so much education, but just like something you don't think about, maybe as a consumer, as a beverage or food. And I'm sure, Allie, you deal with this, but like, you know, where you go on shelf, oh yeah, mm-hmm. matters so much. Like what category the buyer decides to put you in, um, especially if you're a niche. Like you asked, are you a soda? Or are you a yogurt? Mm-hmm. Well, we could have been in the soda aisle or the yogurt aisle, and that would have two different you know, very different, um, you know, sort of predictions for us or, or not like fortune outcomes. Yeah. Outcomes. Yeah. So like, that was a little bit surprising to me. How much of your sort of future is, is formed and shaped by whatever category you sit in and what shelf you sit on. Um, yeah. And and how much did you get to mold that though at the beginning? right, Right. Right. That's the question. So luckily for us, I think we landed where we wanted to land, which was refrigerated beverage. So I guess you could think of us like the healthy soda section, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, when products show up that are really innovative and they sit sort of on their own or in between categories, um, and it wasn't yet established, it can be a real kiss of death or kiss of, you know, grace, um, where you sit and and you can form it. I think in those moments, you just got to be really careful what you do there. Yeah.
0: Well, we've actually, you know, we've gotten into retailers in one set and basically said, you know, "Mm, we're not going to crank it out there probably for you. And we'd rather wait. You know, we love this. We appreciate the opportunity, but we have actually said, we really want to do well by the retailer. And this is not going to be our best spot. And it's scary because, you know, you kind of, it's like, (laughs) kind of want to get whatever you can in a way, you know, but I think at this point, we know where we do well. um, And we know where we don't do as well. And, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, it is, I think it's both a kiss of death and a kiss of grace, because on one hand, we don't have a ton of competition. On the other, there is definitely like a you know, explaining to do, Um, which I imagine, I mean, how, how many years are, are you still facing it? I mean, Vanessa, as the, as the sales lead, how many, do you feel like you ever reached a time three years in five years in, seven years in where you had to, you didn't have to be as explaining and you could just be like, yeah, here, take it. It's good. You know, it's going to do well. There you go.
3: Hmm. You know, it's interesting because I, I do view distribution as such an important growth driver. And once you have that initial foundation of distribution, it allows you to really speak to the consumer and educate in the way that it, you're not doing in such a specified way if you have limited distribution. So I feel like once we were able to achieve a critical mass in distribution around 2017, 2018, um, when we made the move into conventional, when we made the move into more mass accounts. That that yeah. really helped to solidify us as a mainstay national brand within this set um, that people just look to as the, the credible gut health leader that brings yeah. the to the marketplace. And so, in that way, distribution helped us. But I do feel like now you know, we still have to understand how we tap in. To educate consumers in a way that allows the floodgates to really spill into the mainstream even more mm-hmm. so. Um, yep. So there's still that challenge, um, but I do feel like distribution helped us probably about five years in.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great answer. Okay, we're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk. Um, we're gonna talk about entrepreneurship and innovation and a couple of other things. So we'll be right back.
1: I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on HRN. I recently hosted a live podcasting event with local beer and spirits makers from beautiful Somerset County, New Jersey. We spoke on the farm that is home to Flounder Brewery and Belmar Distillery, one of the most beautiful stops along the Sip and See Craft Beverage Trail.
4: To me, those two worlds, brewery and distillery, are extremely complementing businesses, especially in a unique location like this, so it immediately helped this become a destination to have a great experience. Whether it's the beer atmosphere we've got going in here in the old barns, or the great experience you can have in there with these incredible cocktails that are created there, it's complementary to each other. You can have two completely different experiences all within a 10-foot walk from each other.
1: Before the event, I was able to tour the area and see the historic Bridge Tender's house along the serene DNR Canal. Walk the bike and hiking trails, and take in the lush farmland. Then we settled into the centuries-old Dutch barn-turned brewery for a lively discussion.
4: It was always important for us to create our space, our livelihood that we want to share with everybody else. Of being a community-centric location, it is what makes us a brewery in this state different from a barn or restaurant. Um, you know, they, we're obviously family-friendly here. Um, we have a lot of different groups that have their meetings here during the week. We just really want to become a community hub.
1: You can listen to this episode of Beer Sessions Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Somerset County Tourism for supporting this episode. Learn more about the Sip and See Passport Program at visitsomersetnj.org. That's visit S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T-N-J dot org.
0: I'm back with Dinah Trout and Vanessa Dew from HealthAid. Um, Dinah, again, when you and I first started talking, I, I, unless I imagine this or it was in a dream that made me happy, which is totally possible yeah. at this point, I think you said something along the lines of perhaps there were investors along your journey that maybe didn't want you to be in your totally iconic brown sort of apothecary, you know, uh, glass, but they wanted you to be sleeker and transparent and, you know, kind of um, change your vibe, I guess, to go with, I guess, what was sort of zeitgeisty. And you said that, you know, holding your ground was challenging but also critically important and you know really ended up being sort of I mean it's what has made you kind of iconic right on shelf yes so tell me a little bit about all of the things that you learned existentially and emotionally uh and business-wise from that
2: yeah and you are right that was actually it wasn't a fever
0: dream okay no
2: no no um Nope. In the beginning, right when we took on investment, that was like one of the first conversations. Um, change your name, change your bottle. And, you know, they weren't A-holes. They were just mm-hmm. following what they thought the trends were. And the trends at the time right. were um, gosh, bright colors make people want to pick up and drink. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't see anything bright in a brown bottle. So they and and the best selling kombuchas at the time um we're in a clear bottle. So, you know, their intention was of course for us to win and positive, but um I, I felt very strongly, i would say, is like the brand lead uh, of the trio um that we had to keep it in brown. And there were two reasons for that. One, there was a functional reason. It was it's a more superior product when it's in a darker you, mm-hmm. a darker bottle. Yeah, cuz you're able to basically preserve Whatever's inside a little bit longer on those, you know, when they get um fluorescent lights on them 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second reason, and maybe even, you know, it's equally important at least, um, is it really differentiated itself from the mm-hmm. other models. And we we weren't afraid to do that. And I know, Ali, we've talked a lot about your packaging and how <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want you to change that. I think even if people don't um, it's not what they're used to. It does right. force you to sort of stop and look. Um, and that's worth so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the end of the day, what I learned, and, you know, obviously you've seen our bottle. So, you know, we didn't end up caving on that one. We didn't end up following the advice of the investors, um, despite, you know, having many conversations about it where they were sure I was wrong. Um, I remember feeling validation and like personal sort of like, yes, told you so. Um you know, a good four years later or something, when people started referring to us as the brown one and then then the one in the brown bottle. Mm -hmm. And and so it started to become a a recognizable sort of brand, um, you know, characteristic that and the anchor, um, they'd say the brown bottle with the anchor. I see, there was a reason we were right. Um, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, um, but it, it wasn't just that the, um, their, uh, other, other brands started to follow. And Mm. that was when I really knew we made the right calls. Like everybody started to put it in a brown bottle, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, what I learned with all of this is, you know, your investors are not, and and not just your investors, but your team as a CEO, they're not always going to agree with you. Yeah. And I think it's important that you listen to people's insights, but, that is not the same thing as following um their insights. And as a CEO, you have to remember it's you that holds the paintbrush and it's your canvas. Yeah. So while you listen, that doesn't dictate and guide it. And I think um I think I was good about not following um everything they said. Of course it didn't make the most amenable relationship all the time, but yeah, at the end of the day, health aid one. And I'm I'm seeing Vanessa's doing the same thing. You know, that's the special sort of um, privilege of being a CEO, I think it's important to listen though. So it doesn't yeah. mean, yeah, it doesn't mean you're my always my or right. the highway, right? Exactly. There were plenty mm-hmm. of things that the investors uh, recommended that I did end up doing and they were different than what I originally wanted to do. But upon hearing their sort of reasoning and insights, I thought, no, that's a better idea than mine. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying don't listen or don't follow what people do. It's more um, get insights as a tool to have more options and then still pick the best option which by the way, might not be their option.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, people say, listen to your gut, you know, and I'm like, "I, I don't know what my gut is. Like my gut, when I talk to one investor or advisor is like, yes, this makes a lot of sense. And then I go and I listen to another thing or a podcast or I read a book or, you know, I'm like, oh wait, that makes a lot of sense too. And, you know, I, I, I find myself sort of, I think what founders generally, I think, hopefully are good at is sort of synthesizing a lot of information coming at them and picking one, you know, road and hopefully having some litmus around that. And if that works, great. If it doesn't, then they kind of know it and they pick another road. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's that balance between I think also a little people pleasing, probably. Mm-hmm. I want to be everyone's favorite, you know.
2: Well, and you want to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, mm-hmm. I have a I have a great sort of like thing I learned a long way. Is it okay if I share it? I, I feel like this would be helpful for those yeah, listening. Uh,
0: please do. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, decisions are hard to make when people don't agree, and you should just assume that the easy decisions they don't get to the CEO because they're already decided on by someone well well before it gets to you. So, by definition, being in the CEO spot means you only get The hardest
0: (laughs) of decisions. That's a good one. Yeah,
2: and and so just sort of you know recognize that you're not an idiot for always wondering why are my decisions so freaking hard all the time. They are. It's because by definition you've built such a great business that the easy ones are already decided on before they get to you. Um, That's great. But then, but then the second thing is when it gets to you and you get your insights, right? You get you know, I I always made it a purpose to like get people's insights around the Mm -hmm. room. Not every single person, and not in an exhaustive way, but you know, yeah. at least, at least a few. And I always found this, if everyone disagrees, like everybody's got a different opinion on what you should do. And these are all people you respect and who have been successful. Well, in my mind, it means there really is no clear right answer. And therefore you, you, you just have to pick one and go for it. Like, yep. it's not, um, even if these people are e- equally passionate with their different, uh, different opinions, You know, really, in my opinion, it's more important that you just pick one and go with it, not that you pick the right one, because it means it's not that clear. Versus if you ask for insights around the room and, you know, 10 out of 10 people are saying it's the same thing, that might be a good time to go with that um, insight if you're not sure, you know. Um, But I think indecision can sometimes be a worse um, killer yeah. to business than, than um, making the right decisions. It's like our fear that we're going to make the wrong one. So that yeah. always helped me make a decision. It's like, okay, no, everybody I disagrees, think, just go. That's a really, I mean, that is really helpful. And I mean,
0: I guess on that tack, Vanessa, you know, has it been, I would imagine that being a co-founder and running sales for 10 years is not a crazy transition to what you're doing now, but Are you, what is the transition like for you? And what are you, has it opened your mind to something or is it, has it shifted your perspective on anything? I know it's only
3: been a
0: couple months, but you know.
3: You're right. The learning curve probably is like close to zero in terms of just Mm -hmm. the business issues with what's going on. Um, I would say that the two differences, I would say, is I, I'm also trying to go into the role, really trying to wear the hat of a CEO versus just stepping in and getting the you know, TPS report, right? Of yes. what's the latest. And so with that type of lens, I'd say I, I'm diving deep into the people piece around other verticals that wasn't completely under my um, direct right. reports. And just understanding at minimum, what is the people investment that we're making to make sure that we have the right resources uh, dedicated to what we need to succeed in within those departments. So I'll talk about like supply chain and operations. And we have a dedication to um, increase our efficiency, stabilize our supply chain and increase gross margins. I see the plan, but do we have the right people to back it up? So I'm asking those questions in a way that it, Maybe I did before as a founder, but actually effectuating it is different Mm than um, now versus maybe before. And then second is, you know, like Dino was talking about, there's a whole host of people who have opinions about various things. At the end of the day, it's also the focus that I'm able to add to some of these big business decisions um, that maybe was up for contention in the last couple months. So helping to add that focus and also moving the company forward is better than just living in this um, state of indecision. So I would say that's really where I'm focusing a lot of time too, um, is focusing on the big business issues that have been swirling to make sure we move the ball forward in the best way possible. Uh, And then thinking about just competition, right? Like, do do we have the right, set of resources and foundation to really not just be the leader in kombucha, but be the leader with these new entrants. Cause there's always that new like ankle biter, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> try to, try yeah. to be the new health aid on the block. Yeah.
0: I mean, they got nothing on you, mm-hmm. but they can bite. Um, and I guess Vanessa taking like going one step further, do you feel like that's a muscle that's gotten better over time. I mean, Dinah, I feel like I've heard you talk about your journey and it seems to me like the answer for both of you would be yes. After doing this for 10 years, I'm more comfortable making decisions. I'm more comfortable, you know, there's so many things that I think early days we get, take up so much of our brain space, you know, someone doesn't seem to be clicking or something isn't working with a service provider and these things keep us up at night, right? We're, you know, we perseverate, I think a lot, uh, at least my founder friends do. Do you feel, and I guess Vanessa, will start with you just because you, you, you're in it right now. Do you feel like that has gotten better over the decade?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're right. In the beginning, your your mind's a muck of all the just day to day decisions you need to make and the fires you need to put out. I will say that over the course of just an evolution of building Health Aid, I myself also had to evolve as a leader, and I think mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot better. Dinah, keep me honest around. I think what you've <laughs> seen too, um, but I, I think I've gone a lot better to really cut off the fat in terms of. Uh, either things I don't need to be involved in and making mm-hmm. sure I delegate those and also being a lot better in terms of the, the boundaries I need to stay sane. So yeah. I've used an executive coach over the years and different ones Um, when I was you know, at different points in my career with health aid that helped me keep, keep myself real around the priorities for the business, me as a leader. Um, and I would also say there's a confidence that's been built over the last 10 years that I maybe didn't have in the beginning or even mm-hmm. there's this unsteadiness around with, around each year, like, okay, what's going to happen next? Do we have, right. how, do I have what it takes? And it's not a cockiness by any means, but it's also uh, a Conference. looking back to say, I've done it. I've done this. I, I know it. And I can just feel like I'm, I'm in the driver's seat and feeling good in that way.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's I'm I'm looking forward to that
3: (laughs) Dinah and I know I
0: remember you saying I I don't know what podcast it was on that I heard you but you were just saying like separating your identity out from the identity of the business took a while it feels like there's a journey and you're good at talking about that journey so Mm. I'd like to hear a little bit more too
2: thanks yeah, I think naturally, um, especially for first time founders, especially for first time founders that have never been in business before or done anything like this. It's natural to have your self-worth and identity completely, uh, you know, y- you know, usurped by the business or like it is one in the same. And yeah. for sure, I was HealthAid, and health aid was me in in our first years. And that's, I think some of the extraordinary power that comes out of a founder um, to be honest, you know you're who else is willing to go the distance a founder is right um nobody um and so maybe that's important, sort of like how a mother or a father will love their child even as they're screaming at you you know mm-hmm. you know it, it is very parental in that way yeah. um. But then it can become unhealthy and, and it becomes toxic on your personal life. And then the whole cookie can crumble if you let that sort of bleed too much. Um, and that was a lesson for me. And it wasn't a switch, it was a constant learning, yeah. Where essentially the theme is, you know, you have to you have to disassociate from the business as your only, you know, lever of self self-worth. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think it may be also what happens at a certain point in the business. So in other words, it's sort of like, if I'm going to use the analogy of parenting, it's like, you know, the parent you are when your kid is an infant is different than when they're a teenager. And just like the kid evolves through different stages. So does the business. And perhaps the business doesn't need you to be this, like, I'll work until I die, um, person, or I am not Dinah, I am health aid person. Um, they need that in the beginning, but maybe the business doesn't need that in the middle. And, right. and, and so it's, it's a good time to do it anyway. But yeah, I mean, it basically is just, you start to crumble in every way you could imagine, you know, it's, you know, yeah. maybe it's for, for me, it started with just my, my mo my energy, like I was no longer my bubbly, joyful self. Uh, most of the time, I started to become kind of a curmudgeon most of the time. And I would. Vanessa, did you notice that? <laughs> I, mean, I knew Dinah, like, I
3: know her sparkle that she's talking about. And I didn't yeah. know the days when she was down, right? But I didn't know, but I also was in it with her. So it's not like I right. knew that she was losing her sparkle that made her yeah. hurt. I just knew the down days.
2: Well, um, I would hide it. But I mean, to Vanessa, I talked about it all the time, right? I'd right. Be like, I'm losing my sparkle. And she would say the same thing. I'd be like, ah, I miss like who I used to be. So that's how it started. And then it started to impact our personal lives and then even our health. And so there were enough times where I I looked in the mirror and there, you know, for whatever reason, there was a a, a straw that, or a hair that broke the camel's back that made me actually say, no, I am more than health aid. Like it is not only health aid that I am, that I want to be remembered for. And so then you start doing the work of, well, what else are you? Well, you mm-hmm. also want to be good at this or good at that, or you want right. to be, you know, remembered as this or remembered as that. And, it, and it's through those activities, um, you come up with the idea, but of course the hardest part is taking action on it and actually carving out the time to do the things you need to do in your day. Cause there's only 24 hours in it right. that actually make, you know, results in essentially a composition of you that is part health aid. And part all those other things you want to be. So it it was a journey. And I think for sure, I'm on the other side of that journey. And as I think about future businesses that I may or may not start, I'm very careful now to, you know, not ever go back to that place of being like, yeah, 100% dedicated to one thing.
0: Well, it's funny, because part of me is like, you know, I think I'm waiting for, you know, I also just... I don't know, I had um, Seth Goldman on a couple of weeks ago and he like his final sort of piece of advice was like, there's no silver bullet. There's no person who can come in and make it all better. There's no like, okay, now we're good to go. It doesn't get smooth, it doesn't end. It's like, but you know, and so I have that in my head a little bit of like, I'm sort of waiting for, is it when we're at, you know, 20 million in sales? Is it when I have a blah, blah, blah on the team? Is it when I'm, you know, what is that? When is that thing going to happen? That's going to like, get me to the other side. And then part of me is like, well, I think, you know, it's also me, right? I have to, I mean, I did take a pottery class this summer, which was literally my whole team literally applauded because they were like, you got a hobby. And it was like really sad and at the same time, like amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of us are just sort of like we're waiting to get the signal from the business that we can breathe.
2: You know the um, saying, yeah. you know, you know the saying, Allie, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, no, that's it. Vanessa and I and Justin found ourselves in the spot. Are you kidding me? We would be sitting there like, okay, we're, what do we need to do? Because it's so hard. You want to cross the finish line. But you know that saying, a washed pot never boils? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why it's true in business. It shouldn't be true, but it is true. And the time that we crossed the finish line was essentially once we had surrendered to never crossing it. Like right.
1: we, had, <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had eventually gone,
2: yeah, we had gotten to a place where we're like, you know what? We're just going to focus on building a really healthy, strong business and forget about the outcome. Yep. And it was then, ironically, that we did end up selling it, and I will tell you, we didn't sell it in the way at all that either of us would have written. Like I couldn't have written this story, right? Even it's amazing. If, yeah, and and so your whole idea of how your business is going to sell and when it's going to sell, and yep. wait, maybe it'll go that way. But for us, and I think for many, it ends up being a totally different like path that you could have never even thought up, and, and 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 you're you might be better off. Just building
0: a really healthy business. Bethany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think Vanessa, on that note, one of the things that we, I think that's a great segue. And I, and I think, you know, ironically, or maybe not ironically, but you know, interestingly, this whole sort of, um, you know, investor sentiment coupled with economic downturn, coupled with post COVID, blah, 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 all of this stuff that's happening now where, you know, there's just more, um, nervousness around everything and more emphasis on margin and bottom line, rather than like scale growth, top line, woo. You know, in a way that's very good for a lot of us because it is turning us, you know, I was always trying to build a sturdy business, but I also felt this pressure to build a rocket ship and I'm not a rocket ship kind of gal Um, and now I feel like almost this, you know, I mean, people who listen to the podcast have heard me say like, there's a little bit of vindication for those of us on like the slow and steady wins the race tack. Um, not slow as in no growth, but slow as in maybe not, we're not like tripling every year, just top line sales and, you know, not giving a hoot about margin or trade spend or, you know, costs, um, and so, you know, maybe we're all maybe this weird time will make us
3: healthier in our yeah, own weird yeah, way. Yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, early on, sorry, go ahead. Elle. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you there. No, no,
0: no. I, I, you're the, you're the guest. I want to hear everything you have to say.
3: Well, I would say back to the point around once we surrendered around the idea of creating a healthy business, we we found uh, deliverance, if you will. And so, <laughs> in the early days of Health Aid. I feel like we were so, um, like I guess, blurry-eyed just around the dream, the pipe dream of like super fast growth, foot on the gas pedal, like we're gonna grow this to kingdom come, and we we were ourselves sold this dream around losing money, high growth, mm-hmm. you can sell it no matter what, and mm-hmm. that was exactly what we, what I think, what Dino was referring to is that you. Our story was never painted in that way from the beginning. But over time, we had to pivot and adjust market conditions to what strategics were talking about and how they've been changing their tune. And in the end, we realized, like, we need to build a healthy, strong business. And it's not just losing money at all costs um, and growth at all costs, really. And it made us, I would say, better at what we do. Uh, Structurally, it made us more focused in terms of, how we're looking at the dollars that we're spending. And at the end of the day, like you may have, I mean, I look at the liquid death example, Mm -hmm. they are, you know, fast growth, doing crazy stuff. But also I think that's a, that's a DNA characteristic of the founders. And when I think Mm -hmm. about us as individuals, like we are optimistic go-getters that wanted to bring a, a valuable product to the marketplace. And we did, and it is significant in what kombucha, the kombucha category. And we're absolutely now building that story in terms of what it means in the future. Yeah. And it's exciting. And it was never meant to be this like flash in the pan. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and that's where it's at, I think. That's no, I
0: favorite. love that. I love that. I mean, and I mean, I think, again, specifically around like building a healthy business, I think the number one thing that I hear from, you know, founders and operators at our stage is, you know, you have you have your functions, right? You have sales, you have ops, you have marketing, you have finance. It, now, in your case, you were self-manufacturing, which is a whole other thing, which, you know, is very zeitgeisty right now because of owning the whole supply chain. And that's great. It goes back and forth. there's It's cyclical. We can talk about that. But specifically as it, you know, what the word is applies to sales sales needs to interact with ops sales needs to interact with marketing do you remember early on where there were like these holes in between buckets and you needed to fill the holes and you were unsure and do you remember conversations around that yeah how
3: many how many times uh can I count how do I count the ways Uh, you know it it was always like this dance I feel like if there Mm -hmm. were too much sales, like too much demand. It was like, mm-hmm. can operations keep up? And then, you know, Dinah, we, we expanded our capacity. We built a new facility. And then it's like, oh crap, we got to push the sales nozzle up. It's like, right. let's move this needle here. And it, it, we all realized that the way to become a better business was this cross-departmental communication that needed to get better all the time. Yeah. And I would say that that is what happens when you get bigger even now like that's what we need to focus on too um, so just the the nodes in connection between like the sales and operations arm to get demand planning in line mm-hmm. a node between sales and marketing to make sure like the two groups are in lockstep to make sure we're achieving distribution and speaking to the consumer in a way that multiplies Right. Absolutely. That marketing and finance talks to each other to make sure that our budgets are on track. Like it all interacts in this ecosystem to make us stronger. I would say that is where a company that's scaling that kind of lives or dies, or lives or thrives. I would say thrives right. is how you find that little sweet spot.
0: And I mean, do you remember? Because I mean, obviously, this was a while ago for you, but do you remember any like building out the sales and marketing teams? did you go through a couple of different iterations? Did you try different things? Were you, you know, you know, when you had those conversations early on with people who built out sales teams that really worked, were there things that you, um, you know, I guess instituted, whether it's like communication ways of working or, you know, Mm -hmm. is there anything that you kind of took away that you feel like you've implemented that really helped?
3: Yeah. So one is at least the evolution of the sales team. I remember being so field focused around how to build your internal team and use merchandisers. And at the end of the day, it's a heavy cost on the PL. and yeah. so it, it, the evolution of health aid sales team become, became much more account management and how we really multiply our resources in that way. Um, and then looking at a, a field team to help support, uh, supplement where we needed to go deeper into geography. But that was one big shift. Um, and then from a process standpoint, of marketing, um, even now there's this thing that we have called a growth roundtable where over time it, the sales team is probably working three to six months ahead of time and they're trying to sell in you know either programs or activities that you know need to go that the, the retailers are planning um, several months out. And our marketing teams always seem to be just in time for whatever reason. And so I know we worked really closely just to make sure that marketing was trying to get ahead of timing. And so in this growth roundtable, it's a monthly meeting where you have uh, the marketing teams talking about their plans for the next quarter or the next few months so that then the sales teams can take those assets, can take what's up ahead and then go out with the retailers that sell against that. So that was that's one amazing. big shift, yeah. but, um, uh, that's, that's helpful. infrastructure.
0: Yeah, no, that's super, super helpful. And I think Dinah, I've heard you talk about another big piece of, you know, when it, when it, going back to building a healthy business is finance. And I heard you say, you know, I don't remember what podcast you were on, but you were basically saying that you felt like when you finally did hire a CFO or a head of finance, it changed things a lot for you, you know, managing cash, being able to forecast choosing, you know, do we do Costco? Do we do QVC? You know, how do we get profitable quickly? Like there were a lot of unlocks that happened when you brought in that function. But I think for a lot of early stage companies, unless one of the founders has that, background, it tends to be outsourced the longest. You know, we bring in ops, we bring in sales, we bring in marketing, and then everyone kind of like hangs out because it's such an expensive piece of the business. Um, And so tell me, you know, do you you feel that way? Do you feel like, you know, if you could advise, I know you don't give advice, but (laughs) if you you know, would you say that maybe we should all consider bringing finance internal, perhaps a bit earlier than we do?
2: Yeah, and for the record, so everybody knows, the reason I don't give advice is not because no, I know I am yeah. a hole. I just don't. I don't think I know, <laughs> and and I think. You know, there's so many ways to do it right. How could I possibly know? Um, yeah. And I mean, what I love about
0: our conversations is what you said to me, which I think is so kind, is like when you give advice, it puts the onus on the person that they feel like they owe you a, a reason or an explanation if they don't follow it for whatever reason, or they feel kind of like, well, Dinah might be kind of unhappy if I don't follow her advice. And so you you ch- you change it. Yeah. you know, you make it just so much like take it or leave it. And here's yeah. my experience. And yeah, I, exactly. I, for one on the receiving end, very much appreciate that.
2: I always so. did too, when I was on the receiving end yeah. and, and and still do. Um, but, uh back to the, uh, Finance. not advice, advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so. Yes. You know, I have, I remember, and Vanessa, I'm sure you remember too, but when we've hired our first official purchaser and up until that point we had had you know, essentially that job of purchasing raw ingredients sort of spread out between a few people. And, mm-hmm. you know, the gritty sort of, you know, started this from scratch. Founders and us were thinking, I mean, how hard can purchasing products be? Mm-hmm. I do it every day on Amazon 20 times a day. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I, I, and, then, and then we hired a professional purchaser whose experience was in purchasing for companies like ours. And I think, in her first year, she saved us, right. I think, like over a million dollars. Yeah. And I wow. remember it being like, oh my word. Like, yeah, it was, it was really, um, I mean, I don't want to say dumb, but we, we should have hired her sooner. Right. It was, it was penny wise, pound foolish. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was us thinking, oh, this job can be done by someone else, but not recognizing that, you know, the amount of dollars that are going out every right. day, like having a real pro on that helps. Yeah. And then and then we continued to learn that on finance. I think we always sort of were skimpy, if you will, mm-hmm. in that space. Um, for sure, we always hired the roles we needed, like like accounts payable and accounts receivable and stuff, but like mm-hmm. when it came to leadership and strategy, mm-hmm. yeah, it was the last on the list. And yeah, I think a real marquee moment at Health Aid was when we hired a true CFO and Um, he, he really helped us transform the business. I mean, the three of us, the three founders refer to him as the, as the fourth (laughs) founder because he, um, he really did help us strategically look forward and, um, you know, I think he helped us get to profitability. So, yeah. Do you remember around the size you were at
0: that time?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we were probably around, what would you say Vanessa, like 60 million in revenues, 70 million in revenues, something yeah. like that. But it was too yeah. late. We should have hired right. him sooner. That's the thing. Like, I mean, after he joined, it took us 18 months and those were hard 18 months, but it took us 18 months to get to profitable. Right. And, um, I think had he joined us earlier, we would have been profitable sooner. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, these things, it's, it's all like chicken and egg, right? Like partly you, you know, you want the money that, you know, you want the income to come from sales, but you know, none of us really, I mean, very few, I would say food and especially beverage, like we're not going to be profitable until, I don't know, me, I think most of us sort of aim for hopefully, 10 million, but like in beverage, it can be way, way higher than that. And then we were sort of conditioned not to be, um, so on that tack, we have a couple more minutes, but you know, Vanessa, any non-advice advice, advice? (laughs) (laughs) like what do you, you know, last licks, what do you want to shout out to all of us who are following in your footsteps and, you know, eight years behind you?
3: Yeah, I would say that there's a book and I think I've taken it three times now. It's called Strength Finders. And for so long, as long as I can remember, I think I've always just tried to make myself better in the gaps that I've had. What I've also come to understand is that what makes me special, that sparkle that Dinah mentioned, um, that makes each one of us unique. I have needed to lean into that, embrace it, know that that makes me the leader that you know, no one else in the room is. And yeah. I've just had to lean into that more so than I then would. try to
0: fill the gaps.
3: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I would just say like, be you. Know what yeah. makes you you and lean into that because that's special. And I think I needed a, a, I needed a lesson in that uh, more recently too because it's um, – it's important to know what makes you, you. And I'm trying to live and allow that to flourish every day.
0: You know, it's so funny that you say that because I I don't know if you guys know this. I have five kids and um, there was like a book about parenting that came out a couple of years ago that was really sort of like, you know, controversial because our model in this country and in our education system is find the gaps and try to just tutor the hell out of them. Right. Like spend all of your, you know, free time filling in the places where people don't have natural strengths. And I guess these were, I think it was like the, you know, the, the happiness people out of Penn and they were like, actually it's the opposite. Like your brain has these incredible natural, you know, light up centers and don't, try to go making your whole thing even really lean into the places that light up because those are going to be the places where you're going to really be able to offer the world something special. Um, So I guess it's true for grownups too.
2: Oh yeah, totally.
0: Dinah, what about you? Advice, non-advice, non-advice, advice. advice?
2: Um, (laughs) Yeah. My advice is usually just, especially if you're talking to the earlier stage founder, um, you know, get in the game, I guess, um, would be the advice. There's so much time spent by founders planning, perfecting, trying to align stars. And I think, um, one of the best things we did was just get in. We got in before we well, before we were ready, but look how it turned out. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think we could just do ourselves big favors by pulling the trigger and just get like, you're going to learn everything you need to know there and there it's an iterative process where mm-hmm. you learn each day and there's no way you could plan for what you'd learn yeah at least in beverage i think i think it's best to do it that way
0: yeah mm-hmm. well i feel better
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you know i i i know we were And Armin's going to tell me to wrap it up, but there's, you know, there's, there was a story a few years ago about this like British man and he was in his late seventies and he always dreamed of having a radio station and um, his wife for Christmas one year, like, in you know, led him to the barn in the back of their house and like the, you know, English countryside and basically was like, darling, like, this is your studio and you have a show every Saturday night at eight o'clock. So you can just play whatever and the radio will, it'll, you'll just have a show every Saturday night at eight. And it wasn't connected to anything. And he had no show and there was no radio station, but it gave him so much pleasure that she just wanted to give him a gift basically. And that was the gift. And then somehow the radio station got wind of it and then ended up giving him a show. So I always think of that because, you know, yes, I definitely do this podcast to help other early stage founders and operators, but I also, even if no one heard it, I would feel like the guy with the radio show in England on a Saturday night. Like it, it is very, very helpful to me. And I really, really appreciate the time. So thank you both so much
2: for coming Thanks on. For You're us. welcome. Thank you for having
0: us. And Armin, thank you as always for engineering, being patient with my timing, um, and everyone listening, um, very Exciting uh stuff coming up. And again, I cannot thank you all for listening and sharing um, this with all of your other friends who are sort of in the sauce, weeds, muck, etc. Um, thank you for your guest suggestions, and um, I am moderating a panel with um a, different sales, like a different buyer from Kroger, a former Target buyer and a Thrive Market buyer this Thursday. So we're going to get this out on Wednesday. And in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to the panel. So we already, it's free. It's virtual. We have about 170 signups already. People are very eager to hear from these buyers. So I urge you to sign up as well. And feel free to DM me any questions you'd like me to try to answer or ask them, more importantly. Um, And I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org
2: slash subscribe.